The story of scripture comes to an end. After 430 years of silence, not a single word from God, from no prophet, priest, or king, God himself decides to set aside his crown and come to the earth to walk among his people. This is why Christians celebrate the Christmas season. Welcome to Broken Vessels Mended by God podcast. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Broken Vessels Mended by God. My name is Ruth Douthit and I started this podcast a while ago to share insights that I've gleaned from God's Word, from studying God's Word. I am a teacher of God's Word and I write several Bible studies and so I decided to start this podcast to share with you things that I've learned. And in this series, we are going over the story of Scripture. And we are in Lesson 5, our final lesson in this series, based off the book by Kristen Schmucker called Amen, the Story of Scripture from Eden to Eternity. I highly recommend this book. Uh, pick it up over at the Daily Grace Company or on Amazon. You'll really enjoy it. It's an overview of the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and she um, studies it in such a simplistic manner. She presents the content so simplistically, but she has some beautiful graphics, some timelines that show you the story of Scripture in world history. And I think you'll find it fascinating. It's helped me to see where each of the books lies in our world history timeline, and I think it would help you too. So thank you for joining me in this study. I've really enjoyed looking at scripture in this way. And in our last few lessons, we've looked at the Old Testament. We finished up the Old Testament. And in this lesson, our final lesson, we are looking now at the New Testament as we finish up God's amazing story of redemption. For that's what the Bible is. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a story of redemption. God redeeming his people. So welcome aboard. Let's get started wrapping up this Bible study series on the story of scripture here on my podcast. As I said, in the last episode, we finished the overview of the Old Testament and we discovered the rich and fascinating story of God's people. We saw how God used ordinary people to fulfill his tasks and he still does this today. We learn that God himself longed to commune with his people because he loved them so much. At the end of the last lesson that we did, we closed out the Old Testament and we had a glance at the intertestamental period in history where God was silent for 430 years. God's people and the entire world went 430 years without a message from God by any prophet, priest, or king. In this, our final episode in this podcast series, we look at the next chapter in world history, where God resumes speaking to his people, but in a way that no one could have ever imagined. And in doing so, God fulfilled more than 300 prophecies found in his scriptures. Wow. So let's get started with our look into the New Testament.
the good news, the coming of a king. The New Testament opens with the genealogy of Jesus. Now, why do you think it began this way? Now, remember, the Old Testament closed with the promise of the Messiah. The minor and major prophets wrote about judgment and repentance, but they also reminded the people of God about the hope that is to come. So the synoptic gospels, or the gospel messages, that aligned in content, begin with the genealogies, or with the setting of the story, who was the Roman leader, and where the coming king would be born. Years ago, when I taught Sunday school to sixth graders, I would jokingly tell the story of the birth of Jesus this way. And the clouds parted, revealing all the angels standing alongside a golden staircase, descending from heaven. And the trumpet sounded, and Jesus appeared at the top of the staircase, and he walked down the stairs wearing a scarlet robe and a diamond-crusted crown atop his head. And the angels sang their songs of praise. And when Jesus stepped onto the earth, it trembled like an earthquake, and the people bowed down in awe of his majesty. And when I finished, the kids would look at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, isn't that how it happened? I mean, Jesus was king, right? No, they would say. And then I'd ask them to explain to me how Jesus came to earth. And they would go on to tell me the Christmas story of when Jesus, the king, was born as a little baby and laid in a manger in a stable. So you see, God chose to fulfill the covenant promises he had made with Abraham and David in a humble way. Being the master author, God used what we call irony in telling the story of the coming of his son. The people expected their Messiah to be like David, a mighty warrior king. After all, God himself said so in Ezekiel 34. In verse 22 through 24, he said that he would bring them a shepherd, a king, much like David. The Jewish people and the entire world grew weary of war and the Roman Empire lording over them. Romans saw Caesar Augustus as a political and economical savior. As usual, the Jewish people wanted a king like other nations had. Sound familiar? That's what we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 8, remember? The people had wanted a king who would restore order in Israel. But Jesus would do so much more than just that. The Gospel of Luke begins with a Christmas story we have all heard. But this story reminds us of how God used so many earthly kings to help his people and judge his people. In the Christmas story, he used Caesar to fulfill his prophecy about how a census decree would force Jesus to be born not in Nazareth, but in a little town called Bethlehem. Now, what is the significance about the setting of this story? Well, remember how, in writing, the setting of a story must connect in some way to the protagonist of the story. Now, think of the setting of your own life story. How does it connect to you? Remember what we read in the book of Ruth. This story took place uh, in Moab, and then they had to return to Bethlehem. And eventually, that's where King David's lineage began. So David was from Bethlehem, and that is called the City of David. 
Remember, not one jot or tittle in Scripture is without purpose. God's perfect plan is a plan of redemption, and it began in a little town called the House of Bread. And he moved world rulers yet again to move his perfect story forward. How does this fact give you comfort about God's plan for your life story? How was God working behind the scenes to bring about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem? And we see how that little town connects with our protagonist. Does everything you've read so far about the intertestamental period and the coming of Jesus give you hope that when it seems like God is not working in your own life, he is? It does for me. The sovereignty of God is another theme we see throughout scripture. The Gospels. The Good News. That's what the Gospels are. Proclaiming the Good News of the Coming of Jesus Christ. Each of the Gospels gives us a glimpse into the aspects of Jesus. We see who Jesus was by his words and actions. And each Gospel is a fulfillment of many prophecies in the Old Testament. But each book differs. And that has caused some criticism by people who have studied the Bible, by atheists and agnostics. Yet think about it, if each book were exactly identical, then these same critics would cry foul. So it is imperative for Christians to know how each book is structured and why. The Gospel of Matthew In this book, we have the genealogy of Jesus presented from the royal lineage of King David. Jesus is called the son of David and the king of the Jews. This book is to prove that Jesus was a Jewish man raised by Jewish people in the line of the kings of God's people. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is presented as the suffering servant, which we are told about in the book of Isaiah. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is presented as son of man. In Luke's genealogy, Jesus' humanity is traced all the way back to Adam. This is an actual physical genealogy. So by presenting both lineages, we see clearly that Jesus is from the line of King David, as was prophesied, and from the line of Joseph, a mere man. The Gospel of John. Now, this is a very important gospel. In John's book, he presents Jesus as the Son of God. We are taken all the way back to creation and how all was created by the logos or words of God himself. The deity of Jesus is presented in this book through his acts and the I am sayings of Jesus. John's sole purpose for this gospel is to prove to the Jewish people that Jesus is their Messiah and was, indeed, a better prophet than Moses, which was a requirement of the Messiah. The Gospel of John is the only gospel with Jesus declaring himself as Messiah and with a record of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So as you can see, each of the Gospels serves a purpose, to reveal who Jesus is and why he came as king. Therefore, each of the Gospels is unique. In the Gospels, we see the perfect life of Jesus. He provided us the way to live and the way to God. 
He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind. Did you know that he's the only prophet to do this, by the way? None of the other prophets ever gave sight to the blind. And he touched the untouchable, and he spoke to the outcasts of the world. Now, isn't this what we are called to do as Christians? How can we be more like Christ in our work, in our homes, in our communities? Because Jesus was God in flesh and proved that he was a better prophet than Moses, some wanted to silence him forever because he was not the kind of Messiah they had wanted, a warrior. And this was why he was betrayed, tried in court, and then crucified. Jesus had to replace the sacrificial Passover lamb we had learned about in Exodus, remember? In Exodus 12. But the death of Jesus was not the end of the story. The Jewish leaders and Pontius Pilate thought they had ended the story. But three days later, Jesus conquered the enemy of our story. Not Satan, remember. What's the number one thing that we all have in common, whether Jew or Gentile? That's right, death. Jesus had to conquer the number one enemy of God's story of redemption, and that is death. Death is the enemy of us all, and Jesus came to defeat death once and for all. And in doing so, he fulfilled what we had read in Genesis 3. How does the way Jesus was presented in each of the Gospels give us the entire picture of who he is? Remember? His genealogy takes him back to the lineage of King David, all the way back to Adam, and proves that he is the Messiah. The Acts of the Apostles Now that the enemy, death, is defeated for all time, the disciples were tasked with work to do, just as Adam and Eve were given a job to do in the garden, remember? But first, the disciples would need to be equipped. Jesus would provide his disciples with a helper, the Holy Spirit. Remember, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit pre-existed before the universe, the natural realm, and heaven and hell, the supernatural realm, began. So when Jesus gave the Holy Spirit, this is not the first time the Holy Spirit appeared in scriptures. But it is a new role for the Holy Spirit. It is now dwelling inside the disciples, changing them, transforming them into the apostle. An apostle means sent one. And the apostles had to meet two requirements. He had to have seen the risen Christ and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you read that in Acts 1. With the Holy Spirit, the apostles now had a mission and they were equipped to see it through. This mission would be to take Christ to the world. They would need to spread the gospel message to all the people in the world and they would begin in Jerusalem. Now just imagine their eyes when they were told that they would have to do this. They were just simple fishermen. But once Jesus ascended into his heavenly kingdom, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and changed them forever. If you read about who Peter is in the book of John, and then you read his sermon in Acts chapter 2, you can see for yourself the transformation of this man. It is amazing. And this is how we are to be transformed. 
Peter went from denying Christ three times to blurting out things without control to suddenly he spoke in with boldness and truth, confidence. He took the message of old, which was repent and turn to God, and he took that message to, to the people once again. Now we can see what happens after being given the Holy Spirit. The men are transformed and sent on a mission. The Letters of the Apostles Now that these men were changed and given a mission, these men went about the work of the Lord. And they weren't perfect, but their love of God is evident in their writings. These next books of the New Testament are comprised of letters or epistles and are an expansion of the gospel message. These 21 letters are guides and commands on how the church is supposed to behave, act, and further God's glory. Throughout these letters we see theology and thorough explanations of doctrine. But most importantly, these letters point the readers to Jesus and who God is and God's story of redemption. Some of the letters focus on Jewish believers in Christ. Men and women who are Jewish but they became believers in Jesus Christ were baptized and now want to follow and be discipled. While other books focused on Gentile believers in Jesus. These were pagan worshipers who came out of that pagan religion, were transformed, baptized, had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and now they were disciples and wanted to be discipled as followers of Jesus. But the main idea running through all the letters of the apostles is that we all are now brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no more us and them. When you read the book of Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, and the book of Romans, you will see this. We see this plan of redemption in the book of Romans. We are sinners in need of a Savior, all of us. And Jesus is that Savior. We see God's protection over us in the book of Ephesians, even our minds. In the book of Hebrews, we see how Jesus is the better prophet, priest, and king. In him we have rest, not in the law. Some of the new Jewish converts to Christianity wanted to regress and go back to the ways of the law, but the book of Hebrews clearly shows them that Jesus is better, that we have a better rest in Jesus. Now in the book of James, this was the first epistle ever written, we see how believers in Jesus are to come together and serve one another. That's true religion. In these amazing letters, we see hope, the hope of God's love. Read them as though they were written to you, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, and you will see these themes running through them. Praise for your faith, admonition for your sinfulness, a reminder of who you are in Christ, and a call to action to tell others what you know about Jesus. You'll see these themes repeated in all of the books. Revelation, worthy is the Lamb. In this last book written by the Apostle John, we are given a glimpse of how this story ends. Jesus, the Promised One, redeems his people and defeats the enemies of God. 
Now this book is the only one written with a promise of blessings to those who read it. It centers on truth, that God is sovereign and he sits on his throne. Nothing on earth and beyond can ever remove him from his throne. And this book shows us how God is being worshipped and will be worshipped for all eternity. In this book, the church is only addressed in the first few chapters. The rest of the story is about God, the husband, reprimanding, admonishing, and forgiving Israel, the adulterous wife of God. The church is the bride of Christ, but Israel is the wife of God. It is quite a story too. She has betrayed God over and over again, and yet he forgives and provides for her over and over again. And in the end, our hero, God's son, deals harshly with his father's enemies. And we, the church, the bride of Christ, will participate in that final battle. Satan will be cast into a pit of hell for a thousand years, and Christ will be vindicated. But why only for a thousand years? That's not that long. Why does God allow Satan to be loosed again? Because the final battle isn't with Satan. It is with our hearts. So many times we blame Satan for everything. The devil made me do it, right? But the story goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. It is in our hearts where true evil and sin resides. And God deals with Satan, but he must deal with us just as he promised he would do. The book of Revelation is the triumphant answer to the fall that took place way back in Genesis 3. It's the climax of the story of Jesus. And remember, every good story must have a climax where the good guy faces the bad guy. And the climax of the story is Jesus conquering our sinful hearts. He conquers death, he conquers Satan, but he must conquer our sinful hearts. And it is in Christ alone where true redemption lies. God's people are redeemed and restored. The planet is redeemed and restored. And human hearts will be redeemed and restored. God's beautiful story of scripture ends with a call to worship Jesus. It ends with a call to come to Jesus. And it ends with the title of Jesus at the beginning and the end. Jesus is the Genesis and the Revelation. The story of Scripture is the story of Jesus. It is Jesus who calls God's people back to himself. And it is Jesus who calls the Gentiles to himself. Remember, like in John chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. Remember who these men were that laid down their lives to further the story of Jesus. All the apostles died and they died alone. They weren't together. They did what they were supposed to do. They were the sent ones, and they took the story of Jesus to the world. And you and I are probably Christians to this day because of these brave men who willingly laid down their lives for Jesus. I hope that you have seen that every word, every sentence, every testament points the reader of the Bible to Jesus. And that wasn't by accident. God's perfect plan is to reveal his son. And we patiently wait to see him coming for us again, like the bride waiting for her bridegroom, who is off preparing their house, 
and only the father of the bridegroom knows when it is ready, and he will send his son to come get the bride. And that's why we are waiting. We wait and we trust in God's perfect plan of redemption. We wait to be with him for all eternity, worshiping him and crying out in unison, Worthy is the Lamb. Like you read in Revelation 21. There will be no more death, no more pain, and you will have peace. How does that make you feel? Now that we've finished the story of scripture, what are your thoughts on this story of redemption? Thank you for joining me on this amazing journey through God's story of scripture, the story of redemption. I hope that you have learned something new and that you were refreshed by reading what you already knew. God is the perfect author of our faith, isn't he? He gave us an amazing setting of our story, a wonderful hero, protagonist, and a plot, an interesting plot. And not only that, but he put us in his story too. We can surely trust that our stories aren't finished yet, and God is working behind the scenes to perfect us in Christ. So hang in there. God isn't finished with you yet. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you for joining me on this amazing journey through the story of Scripture. And until next time, keep the faith, stay in God's Word, and seek Him. God bless.